So grateful to Eric West and uh, the rest of our worship team leading us in worship this morning. Amen. Thank you so much. I, uh, oh, well, okay. That's good. That's good. I mean, it's better than what they could have done. That's, appreciate that. That's always appreciated. Turn to the Gospel of John, would you please? I want us to look at the very, very first words in the Gospel of John, the first words that Jesus says. Okay, these are the first words in red. So you're probably familiar with the story. John the Baptist sees Jesus walking by and he says, hey, look, behold, right? Check it out. There's the Lamb of God. And so two of John's disciples get up and they start following Jesus. Andrew is one of them. And they call Jesus rabbi. That means teacher. And the very first imperative statement made by Jesus is this. Verse 39, Jesus says, come and you will see. And so they do. They, they follow Jesus. They stay with him all day. And the gospel says the very first thing Andrew does, verse 41, the first thing, that's what it says, Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. He brought him to Jesus. Verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? So Nathanael is skeptical, right? The promised king lives in Nazareth? Give me a break. Next thing you're going to tell me is his dad's in construction or something, right? Nathaniel didn't buy this. And Philip says, verse 46, look at it. Come and see. And Nathaniel says, whatever. And he goes. And Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching from a long way off. And Jesus greets Nathaniel like he's known him forever. And Nathaniel says, wait a second, how do you know me? And Jesus says, verse 48, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree. I've never understood how people ever in history ate figs before they invented fig newtons. I've never understood that. But apparently that, that's what Nathaniel is doing, right? Before Philip invited you, Jesus says, I saw you. I saw what you were wearing. I saw what you were eating. I saw what you were thinking. I heard what you said out loud when Philip told you about me. I know everything about you, Nathaniel. And at that point, Nathaniel saw Jesus. Nathaniel declared, verse 49, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And I love what Jesus says next. Nathaniel, you ain't seen nothing yet. You think you see, but you hang out with me and you're going to see a whole lot more than this. You're actually going to see the coming together of heaven and earth to glorify God. Come and see, 
That's what Jesus says. Come and see. Three little words. That's what Philip says. Come and see. Three little syllables that contain divine power and eternally changed the lives of these apostles and all who would follow Jesus. Come and see. Come and see what? What is there to see? Oh my word. What is there to see? Come and see. Come and see water turned into wine. Come and see Jesus walking on water. Come and see crippled people walk and deaf people hear. Come and see 5,000 hungry people fed with five biscuits and a couple of tiny fish. Come and see a guy who's been dead for four days get up and walk out of his grave. Come and see the love and the power of God at work on this earth. Come and see the joy and the forgiveness and the compassion and the reconciliation. Come and see the way Jesus changes lives. Come and see the whole world turned upside down. Come and see. In Matthew 28, you've got the women at the garden cemetery and there's there's a violent earthquake and the angel of the Lord rolls back the stone and the guards at the mouth of the tomb are paralyzed. And this heavenly angel, his clothes as white as snow, his appearance as dazzling and as brilliant as lightning, this angel says to the women in verse 6, come and see. Come and see that the tomb is empty. Come and see that Jesus is raised from the dead. Come and see that he is the Christ. He is the promised Messiah. Come and see that our Lord Jesus is risen and he has obliterated everything in the universe that might possibly do you harm or separate you from God. Come and see. Let's all say those three words out loud together right now. Can we do that? Together as a church with conviction, right? One, two, three. Come and see. Yeah. Those are biblical words. And they're simple but they are powerful words. And I'm thinking these three words could directly lead to your friend or your neighbor or your family member finding forgiveness and finding salvation and finding peace and joy in the Lord. But like Andrew and his brother, Peter, and like Philip and like Nathaniel, they have to be brought to Jesus. That's just how it works. In Matthew chapter 4. News about Jesus spread all over Syria. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases. Those suffering severe pain. The demon possessed. Those having seizures and the paralyzed. And he healed them. Matthew chapter 9. Some men brought to Jesus a paralytic lying on a mat. Verse 32. While they were going out, a man who was demon possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. Matthew chapter 12. They brought to Jesus a demon possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk 
and see. Matthew chapter 14, people brought all their sick to Jesus and all who touched him were healed. Matthew 19, little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. All of these people Jesus healed, all of these people Jesus saved, all of these men and women and children who were blessed by Jesus to experience the love and the grace of God were brought to Jesus. They were brought to him. Church, listen to me. It is not if you build it, they will come. Praise the Lord. That happens sometimes, but that's not the deal. The deal is if you bring them, they will see. If you invite them, they will see. We invite them and bring them to Christ. As his followers, that's our mission. As disciples of Jesus, that's our charge. We don't sit around and wait for people to come to Jesus. We go out there and we invite them and bring them into his presence. And we're not very good at it. We're not. I know it. You know it. We're not very good at it. We're not as good at it as we used to be. There are several reasons for that. I've got some theories but let's just talk about one of those theories, one of those reasons. I've been convinced for a long, long time now that the reason we don't talk to people anymore about Jesus is that we're trying to convert people to our church instead of to our Lord. We think people ought to be taught how to be members of the church instead of followers of the Christ. And, and we get so bogged down with the doctrines and the details of church and religion. We get so loaded down with the positions and the practices. Our story has become so complicated. It's become so distorted, really, that we don't have much confidence to tell it. We've made it too hard to remember exactly how the good news is supposed to go. And so we're paralyzed. We can't talk to our friends. I can't talk to my neighbor about Jesus or about my faith. What if he asks me a question I can't answer? What is our church's official position on that issue? What are we saying now about this topic that's different from what we were saying 30 years ago? What are the reasons we do or don't do all these different things that are different from the other churches? How do the scriptures work, remind me, where we get from point A to point B in these arguments that we're always having? I can't remember all that. I can't keep all that straight. And I might get it wrong. And so I think it's intimidating. What makes it worse are all the little Barney Fifes out there. We've got them. All churches have them. But in the churches of Christ, we're drowning in these guys. These little Barney Fifes, you know what I'm talking about? These little church cops running around out there, nervously pacing around with their whistles and their badges, looking to bust anybody who gets something wrong. Boy, if they hear a position they don't agree with or, or they hear about an interpretation they don't believe or if you use an inference to an expedient when you meant to use an example to an innovation, they just take you straight to jail. They throw you in the slammer in the same cell with Otis. That's where you are. And they'll write you up and they'll try to lock you down with all of their proof texts and their articles and their letters. 
They're always correcting this and condemning that. You got to nip it. You got to nip it in the bud. Right? We know these guys. And I know that reference only works for people my age and older. I get that. I'm sorry. I apologize. I'll work in a SpongeBob reference next week. I promise. Or Cobra Kai or whatever it is. But most of us in church, most of us, we have been raised up and beaten down by all the arguments and the fights. And so now we're all just together in our little huddle doing church the way we think it ought to be done. And, and we, we have a tendency to stay in our huddle and we're afraid to step out of our huddle because somebody on our own team might try to tackle us. We just made it so complicated. You can be a Christian. I'd love for you to become a Christian your life would be eternally changed today and forever if you would just become a Christian. But then I'd have to teach you how to be the right kind of Christian. And that sounds like a lot of trouble. And I might get it wrong. I might make a mistake. And it's better to keep my mouth shut than to risk not knowing all the arguments. The truth is, a lot of us have already decided that... Not sharing Jesus with others is a better option than taking a stab at it and maybe getting it wrong. And so, brothers and sisters, what if we just told people, come and see? What if that's what we said? Come and see. What if we just invited people to church? What if we just invited people to join us in here on Sundays? Now, hear me out, okay? I don't want anybody to get me wrong here. I'm not talking about bringing people to church just so we can count them, okay? Or just so we can sign off on their salvation. Whew, it's good that you're coming to church now. You're, you're good. You're fine. That's not what I'm talking about. There's a story of a preacher who walked into a store one day, ran into one of his friends, and he told his friend, he said, he said hey, friend, you need to be in the Lord's army. And the guy said, I am in the Lord's army. And the preacher said, but I only see you at Christmas and Easter. And he said, well, I'm in the secret service. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about, okay? I'm not talking about inviting people here so we can fill up this worship center. I'm talking about bringing people to a place where they can see Jesus. This is about bringing people into the presence of the Lord so they can meet him and so they can experience him. You're not supposed to lick your finger in public, but I just did. I'm so sorry. And again. <laughs> I've heard Randy Harris at ACU and I've heard Flavel Yakely at Harding. They've both said this exact same thing. If you invite six people to come to church with you, one of them will say yes. One out of six will come if you invite them to church. Now, according to the National Religious Database related to the U.S. Census, there are more than 104,000 people in Midland and Ector counties who don't go to church. They have no religious affiliation. 104,000 people. And if one out of six will come to church if you invite them, the question is, is anybody inviting anyone? See, we think we're surrounded by Christians. We think everybody we know already goes to church, but they don't. 
And the point is, again, not so we can add more numbers. I'm not talking about inviting here your friends who already go to church. I'm talking about inviting people to church so they can see Jesus for the first time. Or maybe for the first time in a long time. Next Sunday, we're going to start a new seven-week sermon series. And we're just calling it Come and See Jesus. Come and see Jesus. That's it. Not our traditions, not our doctrines. For seven straight Sundays, we're just going to park in the Gospels, and we're just going to see Jesus. We're going to see Jesus preach and teach. We're going to see Jesus feed and heal. We're going to see Jesus pray and die. We're going to see and experience the joy and the forgiveness and the compassion and the reconciliation and the love and the power of our God at work on this earth and in our lives through his son. And the sermons and the songs and the readings, everything we do in here during these next seven Sundays is going to be geared towards inviting others to see Jesus. The next seven Sundays in here are going to be for people who've never been to church before. Maybe for people who just haven't been to church in a long time. Maybe people who don't believe in God or they're mad at God, but they're still feeling the pull of the Holy Spirit. Now, you've got these invitation cards. We, we passed these out. We gave these to you when you walked in the doors here this morning. There are two different sizes. I want you to take at least six of these on the way out, okay? And you pick what size will work best for you. I am inviting you to invite your friends, your neighbors, your cashier at Kent Quick. I want to challenge you to challenge the statistics this week. Invite six people to church and see if one of them doesn't say yes and comes with you. Again, I want you to take the size of card that works best for you. But this card has the dates and the topics of the sermons. It has information about what you do with your kids. And if they will... Scan that QR code right there. This is important for the people you invite to church this week. If they'll scan that QR code with their phone, it'll give them all kinds of information about the series. There'll be a video there telling them kind of what to expect the first time you come to GCR. Everything they're going to need, where to park, how to walk in, you know, our classes, all that stuff. It's all going to be right here uh, at that QR code. In John 12, the Greeks say, We would like to see Jesus. And I think there's at least 100,000 people in our two counties who would like to see Jesus. So why not invite them? And let's use the words the Bible uses. Evidently, they work. Come and see. Jesus used these words. The angels, the apostles, they used these words to invite people to experience with their senses in a physical way. The reality of what God is doing in the world through Christ. It's an invitation. Come. That's the word. That's how our Lord operates. You know? Come. Come and see. Come and rest. Jesus says. Come and eat. Right? Come and eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Come and eat is what he told Peter. After his resurrection. When he wants to reconcile with Peter. And and allow Peter to experience his acceptance. Come and eat. How many times did Jesus say... Come follow me. Come. That's the word. Again, that's the invitation. The next to last chapter in the Bible, Revelation 22, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. That's us. That's all of us. Say, come. And whoever is thirsty, let him come. 
So why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we invite people to church? All right, here's another theory. Maybe we're afraid if we invite people to come and see Jesus, we're afraid they're going to come in here and see something other than Jesus. Is that at least a legitimate thing to discuss? Maybe we're nervous about that. What if we bring them here and they see something or experience something other than Jesus? Well, what really happens when somebody walks into church for the very first time? Do they see Jesus or do they see this? The whole church watched with nervous anticipation as the visitors sat where the Martins have sat for 42 years. When people walk into a church building for the first time, do they experience Jesus or do they experience this? We want to thank you for joining our church. Here's a complimentary copy of our unspoken rules and expectations. If you know what's good for you, I have them read by next Sunday. Are we afraid that people will come here and experience something other than our Lord? Somebody a couple of years ago decided it'd be a good idea if our church mail-outs inviting people to church were actually honest. You know what I'm talking about? Those slick little postcards, you'll get them in the mail from the bigger churches sometime. Come to our church, this is what we're doing. Somebody thought it'd be a good idea if those mail-outs were actually honest. Would they look like this? Everyone's welcome, just don't sit in the wrong seat. We're territorial. Or might, might the card look like this? We love your children until they start crying during the message. Or maybe, maybe an honest postcard would say, have a past? No problem. We love talking about people in our staff meetings. <laughs> or maybe this one. I love this one. We love the way unconditional love sounds. Are we afraid? Are we nervous? about people coming into this building on Sundays and experiencing something other than Jesus. If we're going to invite people to come and see Jesus, there are a couple of things we need to pay attention to. Two things, all right? Number one, the way we see people. People will see Jesus in the way we see people, the way we treat people, right? They'll see Jesus when we decide to not just love my family and my friends I already know so well, but when it's obvious that I've decided I'm going to love people I haven't even met yet. Just like Jesus. Romans chapter 15 says, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. That means we go out of our way to treat our guests like they're already members of this body. Our actions in here can show our visitors we already consider them valuable members of our church even before they decide to choose, which again is kind of like Jesus. It's just hospitality, right? It's one of the Christian virtues, hospitality. Let's think about hospitality for a second. How do you act when you have guests over to your home? How do you prepare for company? Seriously, you, you clean up the house, right? You vacuum, you check the restrooms, wipe down the potty, right? You do all this stuff, right? You turn the thermostat down one or two degrees, you put the dog in the yard. When you've got company coming over, you prepare for that company. And when they show up, you treat them in a certain way. You take care of them. You try to meet their needs. You try to make them comfortable. Here, let me take your coat. If you want to, you can put your purse right here, 
you know? Can I get you something to drink? You ask questions about them. How's your family? Right? Hospitality. How are things going at work? What, what's the latest at work? What, what are you involved with right now? You also introduce them to other people in the room, right? Larry, here, meet Ted. Ted's got an uncle and aunt in Monahans. Isn't that where your parents live? You're trying to help people make connections. You're trying to make your guests feel like they belong. Trying to make them comfortable. That's Christian hospitality. And so when people come in here for the first time, they need to see and they need to feel that acceptance and that belonging that we get from our Lord. And if they happen to be dead when they walk in here, they need to see in us a resurrection life. They need to experience in us a giving of that life, not a piling on of the dirt on their grave. Amen? Jesus lived for the sake of others. He said it himself, right? In his own words, I did not come to be served, but to serve, yes, and to give my very life, he said. That's why so many were drawn to him. So when we say, come and see Jesus, come to GCR and see we're inviting them to come in here and experience the Lord. And if we'll make room for them, not just on our pews, but in our lives, if we'll go out of our way to welcome and accept them and serve them and bless them, brothers and sisters, they will see Jesus. The other thing is that people will see Jesus in the way we see this assembly. The way we understand what's happening in here when we're together on Sunday mornings. Brothers and sisters, let me remind you. When we walk in here on Sundays, we're not just walking into a church worship center in Midland, Texas. We are walking into the very presence of God on his throne in heaven. Going to church on Sunday is not a box to check. It is participating in another dimension of reality. It is stepping into heaven. The writer of Hebrews is talking about Sunday church when he says, you have come not to a place you can see. You have come not to a song or a sound that you can hear. You have come to Mount Zion. You have come to the heavenly Jerusalem. When you walk into church, you have come into the city of the living God. You have come into the presence of thousands and thousands of angels in joyful assembly. You've come to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all people. You've come to the spirits of righteous people made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. When we come together in here in the presence of God, in the name of Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are transported into the very throne room of God in heaven. And so we join the saints of all time in singing praises to the creator of heaven and earth. We speak directly to God. We eat and drink with the risen Lord at his table. And he blesses us. And he transforms us. And he showers us with his love and his grace. In worship, on Sunday mornings, in here, heaven and earth come together to glorify God. That's the primary thought. That's the, the foundational idea. That's at the very core of why we do what we do in here. And if we understand it that way, other people will see that in us and in our worship. That, that, that there's another scene, there's another city, there's another reality 
that we're paying attention to. And everyone in our assemblies ought to see it. They ought to feel it. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul's talking about Sunday church. And he says in verse 24, If an unbeliever or someone who does not understand come in while you're worshiping, the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. He will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. During our worship, the visitors ought to sense, man, there's something else going on here. There's something eternal happening. There's something out of the ordinary taking place with this people. Christian worship shows our guests that what we do involves another world. And so there ought to be these transcendent moments, right? During our worship, there ought to be these times here and there where we get so caught up in what God is doing instead of what we're doing. We get so caught up in his transformation and his showering us with his love and grace. These transcendent times when we get caught up in someone and something much bigger than us. That doesn't just happen at football games, okay? We got to get that straight. We got to understand that. And when we understand that, our guests will see it. They'll experience it. Our Christian assembly on Sunday morning is still the widest on-ramp for us. It's still the biggest door. It's, it's the widest entry into our community of faith. It's the way we introduce people to God and to God's people. We're inviting them to see Jesus. So based on those two things, I would say let's pay more attention in here on Sunday mornings to what's happening. Let's make welcoming and accepting our visitors and guests a top priority so they all experience the acceptance and the embrace of God through Christ. And let's sing in the Spirit and let's read and pray with conviction and let's eat and drink at our Lord's table in ways that communicate forgiveness and express acceptance and foster community. I think all of us need to be confident that when we invite somebody here to see Jesus, that's who they're going to see. They're going to see the Lord. And that person you invite, that person you're thinking about right now, you're going to invite this week, I promise you, Jesus is already looking at them. Jesus has already seen them. If they're eating fig newtons in their kitchen or they're under a fig tree out on the land somewhere, Jesus already knows everything about them. He's way ahead of you. So just walk up to him this week and hand him a card and say, I right, just come and see. Just come and see. When they ask you a question, I right, come and see. See what happens. Mark chapter 2. We'll end here. You got these four guys in Mark 2, and they are desperate to get their friend to Jesus. They're so desperate to get their paralyzed friend to Jesus so Jesus could heal him and make him whole. These guys can't be stopped. And they carry their friend up on a stretcher, up these steps, all the way to the roof. I've got to imagine this would be even harder than carrying your friend's sleeper sofa up two flights of stairs. Okay, so these are really good friends. And they carry him up on the roof and then they start digging through the tiles. They dig right through the mud or the clay or the wood or whatever this roof is made out of. They dig through it and then they lower their friend down on ropes to the only one in the universe who can make him well. They brought him. They carried him to Jesus. And when Jesus saw their 
faith. Verse 5 says, Jesus saw their faith. That's what bringing somebody to Jesus is. It is a visible demonstration of your faith. Bringing someone into the presence of God, trusting, knowing that he's going to do something, that's a demonstration of faith. Jesus saw their faith, and he forgave the man's sins, and then he healed him. He made him whole. This amazed everyone, it says, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. And there are so many people in our community right now, more than 104,000 people, who have never seen anything like Jesus. And it's because nobody's ever brought them into the presence of Jesus. Nobody's ever said to them, come and see. 